Hello everyone and welcome to the Hour of Power podcast where we look into a subject for 60 minutes and we try to become experts about it. By us, I mean Caleb and myself, Cameron. Uh, This week, Caleb, we looked into VPNs, virtual private networks, and today it's Fact Check Friday, which means we uh, we get an expert on who really sets the the record straight. Make sure that we've got all the information Uh, right. Uh, yeah, our 60 minutes of research inevitably might uh, cover some stuff too lightly, maybe yeah. even misunderstand a few things, which is why we love our Fridays getting a true expert. And today we're excited to have Tom Uren yeah. from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute of Australia. Wow. He's like specifically in the International Cyber Policy Center. True expert joining us today, Cam. Uh, listed on his bio on the Aspie website, his expertise lies in cybersecurity, internet economy, and strategy. And he's regularly commenting on written and spoken media forms around leading cybersecurity topics at a national level. We're going to talk Boom. about some of those highlight stories that Tom's worked yep. on with him when he joins us for this interview. Cam, uh, this was an interesting topic. And it made us feel a little bit frightened, but also a little bit safer about sure the internet. So I'm excited to kind of dive into this with Tom and see whether I feel better or worse after it all. Yeah, VPNs <laughs> really lie in the field of cybersecurity. So uh, let's hope that he can kind of reassure us whether, well, I guess, reassure us that our internet's safe or that we're safe. And if not, then, well, what we can do from there. So let's jump into the interview with Tom now and find out a little bit more about VPNs, the virtual private networks. All right, joining us this morning on the Hour of Power podcast, Tom Uren, thank you so much for being here. You've had an incredible career, uh, including the Department of Defense, the CSIRO, studying the molecular genetics of trees, and now you're at ASPI. There's there's all sorts of things happening there, so perhaps uh, give us a little rundown on yourself, your your career up until this point, and uh, how you found yourself at, at one of the as one of the leading commentators, I suppose, on on cybersecurity issues in Australia today. Yeah, right. So I still think of myself as a scientist. So I liked science in school and I loved biology. Uh, that's how I ended up at CSIRO. And I was we were doing a project around how you grow better trees. Um, and it turns out that if you can select trees when they're young, it makes a huge difference. Oh, wow. Because you don't have to wait 30 years. Um, but eventually uh, at that time, quite a long time ago, Biology was very manual. So you'd do something and then you'd repeat it a thousand times by hand. And (laughs) it was somewhat depressing that at the time people were already using robots in the human genome project. So it it is a bit depressing when your entire job has been automated already. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) uh, So eventually I moved to defence. I worked there for quite a while involved in kind of – technical things related to cybersecurity. Um, and then eventually I moved to ASPE where um, we did... So ASPE is a think tank that is a national security think tank. So it's about what's the right thing for Australia. And cybersecurity is obviously an issue that affects us all nowadays. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try and both educate, which is why I'm on the podcast, <laughs> but also um, promote good debate around really important issues. Mm. Mm. Well, Tom, I uh, I don't think I've ever heard anyone 
study how to make better trees. And, and up until you said that, I don't think I ever would have thought that there was a way to make a better tree. I just, I guess, like my yeah, nerd. So what people used to do is just um, like, so there's trees that are good for paper and there's trees that are good for um, like furniture or <laughs> Even this is blowing my um, mind because I'm like, every um, I thought every tree was made for paper. <laughs> yeah, no, so there's some that are easier to turn into paper. And so what they would do is wait until a tree had grown and go, okay, that's a good tree. Mm. Um, let's um, breed more of those trees. And so over time you get, um, I guess like agriculture, you get trees that are in better and better for a certain thing. Um, but if you can test them while they're young, you can actually cull all the rest and get just the trees that you like. So that was so, really yeah. what that project was about. I'm I'm wow. just amazed that one one man can have a career that spans right from agriculture and trees right through to defense of a nation's cybersecurity front. I just think that's absolutely amazing. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, right. So that's pretty common in cybersecurity wow. because it, it okay. wasn't that much of a thing like 20 years ago. Yeah. And so there's there's some people who've come through. Uh, information security and computer science, but there's many, many people who've done different jobs. Um, so, you know, uh, mathematicians, chemists, mm -hmm. physicists, mm -hmm. but but all sorts of people from different walks of life. Right. I suppose it was an industry that didn't exist when a lot of the people who are experts on it now began their studies, which that explains that perfectly. But you mentioned ASPE, um, education, promoting debate, think tank, all of these things. What about some of the major projects that uh, you've worked on with ASPE since you have been with them? What have some highlight moments been? Um, some of the things that I've really enjoyed have been looking at data that Twitter has released. So recently... Twitter discovered that there was some um, activity from the Chinese state on Twitter that was pretending just to be normal people. Wow. And so they gave us an advanced release data set and we were able to look at that data and, and do a report on it. So we've done that a couple of times and those are that's really interesting to see how states are trying to manipulate the, I call it the information environment, all the mm. sort of news and information that we get. Um, I think that's a particular highlight for me. Yeah. How does, I'm so curious, why did Twitter come to you guys in Australia and not, cause Twitter's obviously based in America somewhere, I assume HQ. So why yeah, so, are you guys first? So they gave the data to us and to Stanford. So to be absolutely clear, they noticed this activity on their platform and they had They've, for, since the 2016 elections, they've released this kind of data um, when they discover it. Mm. Um, and what they noticed is that there's, um, like these data sets are quite big and it's very hard to have a uh, in-depth in -depth understanding on the first day. Mm. Uh, so you'd get a whole lot of news that bubbles up around that release, but it's not very... Um, it's not very in-depth because there's just no time. So mm. they've started to give people early access so that they can produce some research that frames it really nicely so that other people can understand the, the bigger picture and the context around it. Mm. And we did a report uh, last year in September and they, they just liked it. And we've got a lot of Chinese speakers and so it makes sense that we have people who can understand what's going on and what's in that data. 
Yeah, okay. Vic. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Incredible space. Is that is that an ongoing project now? You mentioned the report released, and I was looking at some of your most recent articles. They're definitely around the Twitter sphere. Uh, yeah. What so, have kind um, of the implications been of that? Yeah, so that's an area of research because we think that is really important for democracies. If um, organised uh, groups can affect what everyone sees and thinks of as um, reality, that that has huge implications for how we all live our lives. Mm. Um, so the rise of social media coupled with the decline of traditional media means that I think that's a thing that's worth focusing on and, and it's a really hard space because it's it's really not clear what to do or how to, uh, air quotes, solve it. Mm. Well, yeah. uh, Tom, I guess uh, we were also watching before just say an interview that you were on on ABC News where, uh, you know, the ASD kind of had this role in combating the Islamic State by stopping their communications. Uh, I mean, Caleb and I were both kind of like blown away at how that kind of, wow. yeah, how that kind of happened. Um, what's kind of Aspie's role in particularly like the international cybercrime kind of space? So we've produced a couple of reports that talk about offensive cyber. Um, one of them talked about how ASD does it. Um, and so really I think the role there is to explain um, how Australia uh, sees offensive cyber. So they we um, would and do follow international humanitarian law, which is mm. the kind of... Uh, rules of war, yep. if you like. Um, so that means being proportionate and uh, having a, like a military purpose that you can't mm. do by any other way, trying to avoid unnecessary harm to other people. So last week, um, or, or when you spoke on the podcast, you mentioned WannaCry. Yes. And um, WannaCry, I think, is an example of something that was tremendously destructive and was not targeted as far as we can tell at anything in particular so that to me seems like bad um and so our report explains how you could use offensive cyber in a um in a, a just way mm. uh something that in, as a combat to something like WannaCry, i suppose which shut down well, public health services and things like it, that for people yeah who might it doesn't not be aware. even have to be to combat something that's occurring in cyberspace so the example the, the asd example was in syria um, and they degraded the communications of some ISIS fighters. So that's an example where they're using cyber operations in addition to normal military um, doctrine. And so the US has talked about a bit as well. They, the, an, an example somewhat similar, they knew that there was an ISIS command post and they knew that there were secondary command posts, but they didn't know where they were, so they basically took out the primary command post by disabling all their computers. Um, mm. And that forced those fighters to move to the secondary posts. And at that point, they blew up the secondary posts. Mm. So they they could always have blown up the primary command post, but they wouldn't have known where the secondary was. So that, that capability gives them the ability to do something a bit different. Mm. What an incredible thought that, that you could 
get that kind of intelligence by, I assume workers that weren't even on the ground that was done remotely from another country. Maybe I'm asking too sensitive a question here, but, but uh, there would have been uh, keyboard warriors somewhere else. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely incredible. So you mentioned WannaCry. I'm curious, this is a little bit of a cheeky question, perhaps in, in a sense, Tom, but what, what would be your favorite hack? The most creative hack you've seen happen. Uh, it's, it's all kind of very, we hear it on the news and everyone's reaction is kind of like, wow, this is like, this happens. Like, are we really, really under threat by this kind of thing, which is why we're looking into the idea of a, a personal VPN, I suppose, this week. But before we, we narrow our thoughts and start to talk about that, has there been, you mentioned WannaCry, but has, has there been other hacks throughout history that you kind of go, wow, that was, that was a crazy moment? Uh, there's been a few good ones that spring to mind. One um, that I talk about occasionally was um, there's a US billionaire, uh, Sheldon Adelson, I think. So he owns casinos in Las Vegas, um, mm-hmm. and he's a very strong supporter of Israel. And he went on some panel and said that the the US should uh, launch a nuclear weapon on the on on Iran. Wow. Um, in the desert, just to give them a warning. And so some Iranian hackers hacked into his casino and then um, destroyed the computing system there. Wow. So that's, I think that's interesting because they're trying to punish an individual um, and they're doing it in a way that, you know, totally unexpected. Mm. Um, and, but, but another one I like was the Russians tried to, and like in a, you know, I think is interesting. I'm not a fan of it. Yeah. Uh, the mm. Russians mm. attacked Ukraine uh, and they compromise some tax software. And it turns out that every company that operates in Ukraine must use one of two software packages. Ah, okay. And so they, they sent a worm that actually just encrypted everything. Mm. Um, so that's the NotPetya attack. And that, that actually um, affected a number of really large companies. So the Danish shipper Maersk. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Pharmaceutical company Merck, uh, a chocolate manufacturer in the UK, and so uh, Maersk in particular, uh, it wiped out pretty much everything except for one single. Um, so they have these computers that are particularly important in their network, and they, it wiped out all of them except for one. I think maybe in Nigeria that happened to be <laughs> switched off at the time because of a power outage. Yeah. So wow. the only way that, that that single computer had the kind of blueprints for the entire system, so they had to go and recover the hard drive from that computer, fly it to. I think they had to fly it to London because the workers in Nigeria didn't have the right <laughs> visa to get to where they needed. Wow. Um, and at, at, apparently at the time they were, uh, you know, running around ripping out network cables because they realised their, their computers were being destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Well, for those who have seen the headlines lately, if you thought the worst thing that could happen to a shipping container ship was drop a few crates into the ocean because of rough seas, think again. (laughs) That is a crazy situation. Some some stories that I I definitely hadn't heard of. They're out there. It sounds like you're talking about Ocean's Eleven almost when you're talking about these kinds of stories, Tom. It's just amazing. Yeah, so Um, it goes on quite often. Like uh, Toll Holdings has been ransomware twice this year. Okay. and if you if you pay attention, it's it happens a lot. It's mm-hmm. just um, 
often it's not front page news. Mm. Mm. Did Toll in those examples? Is it did Toll pay the ransom in order to get the no, access they didn't. back to their so, information? No, no. So they did. There were there were criminals who wanted money, and at first they said, "Pay us the ransom, and we'll unlock your computers." Mm. And when they, that didn't work, they said, "Okay, pay us a ransom, or else we'll put your information on the internet." Uh, right. So they're like quite agnostic about how they just want to try and force you to pay some money. Yeah. Okay. And what did, what did toll do? Did they pay or did I think all the information just got re- released? Rebuilt their systems. Yeah. So if you've yeah, got okay. a good backup, yeah. um, ransomware isn't the end of the world. It's, mm. it's a disruption for however long it takes you to get back online. Yeah. Right. There you so, go. There you go. Well, you've, you've definitely set the scene as far as we do need to be afraid of this kind of thing. It definitely <laughs> goes on. It definitely can affect massive organizations as well as the individual based on some of those stories for sure. So let's dive into the topic of today's conversation. I feel like we're going to need to get you back on the podcast in the future to talk more about those stories. But <laughs> today we want to talk about VPNs, virtual private networks. So it's, it's something that the individual can do um, to try and secure themselves effectively uh, and, and use the internet, use their computers more safely. Um, but before we jump into some of our research and some of the questions that Cam and I came up with for you, Tom, we like to do something that is a bit of fun. Uh, we, we're going to allow you to ask us a question first in what we call the expert exam. I'll throw to Cam to explain how this works. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of fun. Uh we, like you said before, you, you heard like a little bit of the, the podcast we did earlier this week. Uh, and, and we like to think that we can learn a bit about a subject in 60 minutes. Uh, we, we try pretty hard to learn as much as we possibly can. However, this is an opportunity to really, uh, I guess, for you to make a fool out of us about the subject that we've looked into. Uh, so we looked into the, the VPNs, virtual private networks, and... Uh, this is your opportunity before we ask you some more in-depth questions and we really find out a bit more about it. Uh, this is your opportunity to ask us one question that only an expert would really know the answer to. And and we're going to try and faff about and see if we can answer it, really. <laughs> right. So that's that's quite difficult. I don't know. Uh, the question I'm curious about is how, how does a VPN protect you from ransomware? Oh, okay. Specifically ransomware. That's that's good. Well, I'm going to jump straight in here and say, because okay. I looked into the benefits of virtual private networks. And when you're using a VPN, all of the data that you're sending and receiving from the internet is encrypted, right? So I would assume that if someone using ransomware were to try and get a hold of some data, they would not be able to use it for anything valuable because it is encrypted and therefore not intelligible and therefore not important that you've lost it. Do you have anything to add there, Ken? Well, I guess if they can they can still get it right they can get the encrypted data but maybe they just can't do anything with it and so it's up to you mm. whether you want your data back so does I don't think a VPN VPN protects you against ransomware I don't know I I am stumped by this question Tom <laughs> how, do we, how do we go Tom how do, how do we go encryption is key yeah 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 so the I think the answer is you're right it doesn't really protect you so typically yep. what happens with ransomware is that something gets onto your system and runs. Yeah. And so sometimes that comes from an email. Um, uh, very occasionally it comes from just some website you've browsed by yep. or sometimes it's some software you've actually installed and VPNs don't help against any of those things. No. Um, the, the, what you said about um, I using the data from your internet connection, mm. like that, that is possible. I don't think that's... And a VPN does sort of protect you in that case, but I don't think it's the main way 
I think that would be kind of an exception. Right. Okay. So, so I've, I've misunderstood the key from what I'm hearing there. The key thing with ransomware is that it accesses your local machine yes. and therefore the VPN isn't protecting you locally like that. It's protecting you out in the internet. So if, if you've got a worm of some sort on your actual local machine, well, good luck to you. Is that, that's yeah, kind that's of right. Why? So once, once it's on your machine, your internet connection has got nothing to do with <laughs> it really. Okay. Um, okay. So often those ransomwares talk to some command and control. Mm. Um, so, but a VPN doesn't really help there either. No. Mm. Okay. okay. There so you go. If you're trying to protect yourself against ransomware, don't get a VPN because that ain't going to save you from anything. <laughs> Well, so we got good, maybe good simple pass or fail. If we'd written that down on an exam, Tom, would you be giving us a pass or not quite? Well, we a lot of what you said before you you was not wrong. Good. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I think Cam actually, you said that it's it it, it probably wouldn't, right? Yeah, I didn't um, think it would. No. Yeah, so I think most of the stuff you said was right. It's just the conclusion you came to, Caleb, was mm. a, was a fail. Yeah. Okay, there you go. So I'm getting ransomed. Cam's not. There's, there's a higher stakes here in this. <laughs> well, I'm just that's not trusting good. my VPN to, uh, to save me from it. Well, uh, Tom, that's, uh, that's a good place to start because already we're on the back foot. Already we feel like there's more to learn. So, um, yeah, earlier this week we jumped in and we studied VPNs and, and I was quite interested because I guess as someone who... Uh, Caleb and I do a little bit of travel over the place and I'd always heard from people if you're traveling around if you're like on hotel Wi-Fi or if you're on airport Wi-Fi then you should have a VPN I I guess the first question is uh, one thing that we kind of felt was like well is this actually a true statement should we have a VPN if we're going around to those public kind of Wi-Fi kind of things and if so why is that yeah look so when I travel, yes, I use a VPN. Um, and the reason is um, what a VPN is good at is protecting your comms from uh, different people. And who's those different people uh, depends on what you care about. So when you're traveling, um, hotel and airport Wi-Fi are typically really easy to listen to. Mm. Um or to sniff and airports and hotels, you've got a lot of business travelers there. There's likely people who are actually interested in what they're saying. Mm. And so you've got a high likelihood that your, your comms are not encrypted and there's people potentially listening. So Mm. um, now a lot of what you send is encrypted uh, by default. So if you're talking to your, um, if you're using Gmail and it's HTTPS, that's encrypted. Mm. Um, if you're using your bank app or website, that should be encrypted. Mm. Um, but there's also to, many yeah. things that aren't encrypted and people can build up this profile. And it's really hard as a user to know what is and isn't encrypted. Okay. So when you're traveling, um, that's what I would call a high threat environment. And mm. so it makes sense to use a VPN. So the that's the plus side. What it really does is it encrypts all the communications you're sending from your phone or laptop or whatever to some other place. Mm. And after that other place, it's, it's just back to the normal internet. Um, so when you're in a hotel, 
that makes sense because you're protecting yourself from the hotel, but mm. you're really switching one set of potential attackers for a, a different set of attackers. So you've got no idea, um, you know, in the VPN I use, it says you can choose Sydney or Melbourne or, yep. you know, Japan or California. I've got no idea who in California might be looking at what I'm, what I'm sending. Mm. Um, so it, it comes down where you think the greatest risk okay. is. And so, right. so and really that, what you're saying there is you're switching out the, the attacker in the hotel that you're in for an attacker who may be sitting next to the, the, the actual host, the VPN host in California. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, wow. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. So the, um, for, for, for travel, I think that's a good trade-off yep. because, the, you know, you can have um, some teenager – or some professional criminal who just hangs out in the hotel um, sniffing um, for, for stuff of interest. Yeah. Mm. I think the type of people who can get access to, um, I mean, these, if you're paying for a VPN, it's probably a computer sitting in a data center somewhere. Yeah. So you just need a much higher capability. Um, people in the industry call them adversaries. Um, mm. So you, and at this point, if, uh, if you're Cam or Caleb, probably no one who can sit out, you know, compromise the data center. Yeah, yeah you're not really worried about those people. No, because <laughs> um, they, they don't really want my information sitting in a VPN center or anything like that. Anyway, it's like they would be going after much bigger fish than probably little Cam sitting at home kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's it's about knowing who you are, who would care about you, yep. and what what set of attackers you're most worried about yeah yeah which which was one of the major themes that came up as we pressed into this topic is there's this that will I'll, I'll cite the case of ryan lynn um which was a case where this guy was found to be doing what they refer to as cyber stalking an obvious wrong yeah. thing to do a I crime. Remember he was like a really awful person a really awful person and so the i think it was the nsa i may be quoting i think it was the nsa who were looking into this and they basically pressed the vpn host that ryan was using for what he was up to that that was obviously a terrible thing to do and they released that information now the interesting part about that case is that then all sorts of people came out of the cracks and said in uproar and said hang on a second you said you don't keep our data VPN holder, why were you able to give the NSA that data? Now, in that case, obviously, we all are glad they had that data to give the NSA so we could sort out the wrong that was being done. However, it did raise this issue that if a VPN host does want to look at the information that you're giving them by using their VPN, sending the comms through their server, they can look at that. And that that's kind of as a result, there's this distrust that's growing um, around this and there's this debate. And then as a result, there's all sorts of open source VPNs and homemade VPNs being talked about. Has that kind of discredited this technology, do you think? I think uh, it's about using it for what it's um, what it's good for. So, yeah. I mean, for example, I use it to protect myself. Yeah. I pay with a credit card. The VPN knows who I am. Um Occasionally you can see in indictments in the US for hackers that they'll have subpoenaed a VPN provider and the VPN provider can provide subscriber details and nothing else. Mm. Um, so that's the kind of um, – that's proof that that particular VPN provider is not logging um, 
when you're using it and who you're communicating with. Mm-hmm. So if if you're really paranoid, you can scour through all those um, um, indictments and find out which VPN providers the US authorities have not been able to get logs out of. Yeah. So what people look for in logs is the times and dates. So, you know, if if Ryan was using it at this time and at the same time uh, the victim was being harassed mm-hmm. and, you know, that correlates for a lot of events, that's that's really good evidence. Yep, yep. Um, but uh, if you're doing something that is uh, illegal, there's many different ways that law enforcement can get access to you and it doesn't even have to rely on the VPN provider. Mm. Um, so they can look at, um, you know, subpoenaing, uh, if that VPN provider is using a data centre, they can subpoena the logs of the data centre mm. Um and, and so there's kind of layers of things that they can do. Yeah. And so my advice is just don't do things that are illegal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just Great be a good, piece of advice. Just be a good person is really – I think that's something <laughs> that Caleb and I kind of covered was, you know, that when I was kind of looking at the criticisms is when I was looking into it, I was like, oh, well, if this is what a VPN does, there's so much room for it to be used for evil and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and is there a particular way that you know of, Tom, that – I guess VPN providers or, uh, you know, uh, you know, law enforcement in general, it, try and stop people from using VPNs for this stuff? Or is there a way that they, like when they can pick up people are using VPNs for the wrong purpose and then stop that? Um, so in Western countries, there's no way that I'm aware of that, that, that they try and stop people using VPNs because yeah. there are legitimate uses, right? Yeah. Um, in China, for example, they've banned VPNs they don't like, which is probably in effect VPNs they can't get access to. <laughs> right, so they couldn't um, subpoena it because they don't have them under their jurisdiction. Is that the kind of example? Or they don't yeah. get logs, like yeah. something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would they they would allow VPNs that are uh, government friendly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in the West, what? tends to happen is that if you're involved in something really bad, so perhaps child pornography or a drug market, um, they'll really spend a lot of time and effort to try and figure out who you are. This is law enforcement. Hmm. Um, And so VPNs are definitely an impediment to them, but there's all sorts of techniques that law enforcement use to to find out who you really are. Mm. And so you can't use a VPN and think, right job done mm. um it really becomes very hard to avoid being identified in the longer term yeah yeah oh, wow. absolutely there's a there's a few other gray areas that came up uh in terms of this well you can use vpns for wrong and and one of them is one of the most popular reasons that vpns are marketed and it's this funny little tension that seems to be managed because it's obviously not the right thing to do yet the companies who can sell these vpns know it's highly beneficial so they talk about it nonetheless which is the ability to watch netflix usa from australia for example so get around geographical restrictions and geo blocking that some multinational companies use any comments in that space around because it seems like everyone knows it's happening everyone knows it's not the right thing to do but they can't really stop it it's Seems. Yeah, so um, that's one of the uses. The other one is using BitTorrent as well. Yep. Yep. Um, 
And so in both cases, um, I spoke before about how they're protecting you from the kind of local attacker. Mm. In this case, the other use is, um, I like to think of it as making my computer pretend it's in a different country. Mm. Mm. And so you're providing some anonymity. So um, in Netflix's case, um, they actually go around trying to identify which, uh, where those VPN providers are coming from in different countries and they'll actually block them. Wow. Um, so certainly uh, um, that is a response uh, to pressure from the rights holders. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So whoever owns the rights obviously doesn't want people just accessing, um, you know, they're trying to make more money by yeah, selling make to more different money. jurisdictions. Yeah, yeah. They'll, yeah. they'll make the money and if so, they sell it to Australia. So why would they let someone yeah, yeah. from Australia get it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's the basic reason. Um, um, yeah, so the I think the rights holders have provided more pressure over time. So I've noticed that, like, you know, in years past it was really super easy to do that, but now I think uh, they take more effort to try and block it. Um, mm. Yeah, okay. How about that? Yeah, so BitTorrent is the, the same thing in that... Um, uh, for a while, there were companies that would basically try and, uh, particularly in the States, law firms that would try and extort money out of people who had illegally BitTorrented mm. um, videos. Mm. And yeah. the, the one I, uh, the one I, that comes to mind, they would find um, porn videos with extremely um, explicit titles, find out who had downloaded it, and then send them uh, letters and mm. ask them to pay money. Um, so, wow. you know, the people were definitely downloading um, illegally, mm. uh, yet at the same time it felt more like ex- legal extortion than yeah, it did right. like um, because the entire purpose was just to make money. It wasn't really to uh, to do any good to people. To try yeah. to stop so people, the wrong that was happening, yeah. Yeah, so people um, use VPNs to hide where they're coming from. Mm. Um, and the way it works is that when you use BitTorrent, you kind of leave your address behind. And mm. so those lawyers would look at the address, go to the ISP and say, this this custom, find out who the customer was. Yeah. And the yeah, VPN okay. stops that. Yep. And that's that you're, you're consoling me here because, like Cam mentioned, we were kind of, we felt relatively uncomfortable perhaps at the end of our research thinking, geez, it seems like these are a great way for people to get away with some pretty bad stuff in some cases. But it's great to hear from you that, you know, law enforcement does have the ability to be able to find the people who are doing the wrong thing in other ways. And as well, it sounds like the VPN. Um, providers, particularly if they're in correct, easy, easier jurisdictions to access, perhaps can can play along and, and help in stopping these kinds of things from happening. One other area that came up, and I it was fairly significant to me, was the idea of speed throttling. Now, this is the idea that internet service providers can control the speeds at which their customers have access based on their subscription type. So you would think those who pay more get faster internet. Now, there's some objection to this being something that should even be allowed to happen. Uh, whether it's happening or not, perhaps you can comment on that, particularly in Australia's case um, and maybe some other significant cases around the world where this has been spoken about. And then there's a suggestion that VPNs are a way to get around this 
if it is happening. Um, is that correct? Is that notion correct? Um, I've not really heard of that. So certainly in Australia, you can pay different amounts to get different internet speeds. And to me, that seems fair enough. Yep. There's probably a philosophical question about um, perhaps internet access is a human right and, you know, it's a human right to have enough to stream four streams of HD Netflix at the same time. <laughs> I'm kind of sceptical that that's the case, but uh, uh, you could make that argument. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, there may be cases where ISPs block particular types of traffic. So it used to be that... Um, when people torrented more, that ISPs would try and block that, or at least some ISPs would, because it, it's it was a huge amount of bandwidth. Mm. Um, so that may be where that that may be what the use of a VPN would help in that case, because mm. uh, an ISP kind of looks at the traffic and says, right, this is traffic that I, I I'm going to slow down because it just destroys my network. Right. Um, but when it's under a VPN tunnel, you can't. The ISP can't, tell, can't what tell what it is. Um, so, yeah. I, I, what I what would be some examples of some of that kind of traffic? Usually it was BitTorrent because right. it was back in the day when networks were not so fast. Mm. Um, places like Netflix didn't exist. I think there was a lot more torrenting. Um, and uh, because it's high bandwidth, um, you can have a few users that use up most of the network, um, so that kind of destroys it for everyone else. You are. Um, so I can't remember hearing about that for the last several years. Mm. I guess since um, Netflix has kind of come, like you said there, like a lot of people have kind of stopped torrenting because a lot more mm. of what they want to access is, I mean, readily available without having to go Yeah, around. so, I mean, there's two things going on there. So Netflix has come along so people aren't torrenting as much, but also mm. the bandwidth everyone has is better. Yep. So there's less, um, you know, if the bandwidth had stayed the same, whether you're doing BitTorrent or Netflix, it's still bad for the network. That's true, mm. yeah. Um, so in Europe, in COVID-19, uh, Netflix actually reduced some of the, the quality um, because there were so many people at home yeah, streaming yeah. Netflix, it was it was loading up the networks. Yeah. Um, so there've been, I think, a couple of companies that have changed exactly what their the, the quality that, at which they're streaming to cope with um, COVID nineteen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you you described it a bit like a a tunnel before um, when when I was kind of doing the research into the history of uh, you know VPNs and stuff like that when it was kind of peer to peer kind of communications and stuff like that they kind of described it as a tunnel um, as that's what they they designed it to do from the beginning have we seen you know kind of um, developments in vpns over time or is it kind of still the idea is that you know it's stuck the same and it won't really change too much for the future i guess my question is more like what have we seen from it and what can we expect from the future of it uh i think conceptually there's still a tunnel right so mm-hmm. you've got to get from point a to point b and it's just wrapping up whatever is underneath in different forms of encryption. Yeah. Um, so sometimes the way you set up a tunnel changes, like how exactly you say, hey, I want to set up a tunnel. Here are the things. Here's the way I can encrypt it. That sort of back and forth can change. Mm-hmm. And then the, um, the, the encryption that you use over that tunnel can also change. Um, 
I really think that 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 conceptually, you know, is a model that works, and I don't think that's going to change. Yeah. Um, what I'd actually like to see is that the internet itself gets a bit better. Mm. Um, so one of the things that's happened is that there's a lot more stuff that's encrypted by default. Yeah. The HTTPS um, that you mentioned earlier is, is a common form of that, for example. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So prior to, well, I don't know, maybe last seven years, most traffic wasn't encrypted. Um, and then nowadays it's it's switched right around. Uh, and there's also a whole lot of other things that make up the internet that could be better uh, in terms of more secure, but it's it's quite hard to change because the internet's a big place and there's yeah. many people um, involved. Yeah. Um, so, so it's hard to get a critical mass of change. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you said there in, in the encryption, you know, that encryption may change. This may be a silly question. Is there different levels of encryption? Like can you have mm. really encrypted stuff and not really encrypted stuff? Like that's easy for hackers? I, I just don't know. Um, yes, is the Short answer. Okay. Uh, the longer answer is that um, it costs to encrypt things. Mm. Um, so it costs in terms of how much computing power you need to do it. Um, so as technology's evolved, we've kind of um, struck this balance between how much effort you need to encrypt it versus how much effort you would need to break it. Mm. Um so the the standards are always advancing as computers get more powerful um, because you can afford to encrypt it in a more robust way, mm, yeah. and also the the threat of someone else being able to collect enough computers to break it becomes realistic instead of uh, like twenty years in the future. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. And occasionally, that. what happens is that some clever clogs will figure out. Uh, you know, here's this form of encryption that's kind of standard and figure out a way to break it better. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that means that people have to scramble to... Adapt. Uh, and replace up, it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. One one thing that's come out, I mentioned it earlier, open source VPN. So the idea that instead of trusting VPN developers who are, you know, selling the product um, and hosting servers and that's their business model, um, there's this idea that the community is gathering together and building a VPN that we can use that would be superior uh, and then therefore we eliminate the possibility of um, potentially that information, those logs getting out... Uh, it, that I don't know how true that is. Do you have much experience in that space? Um, have you looked into the idea of open source VPNs and what do they, w would you use one maybe is a practical question to ask? Uh, I've thought about using one, but then I couldn't really figure out what the value would be in terms of uh, the time it would take me to set it up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, how much extra would I get? So the, the real, uh, what you can do is you can get a, uh, a computer somewhere and you can set it up with a VPN package and you can, uh, you know, hook up your phone or your laptop to that. So you're always tunneling from your device to this computer. So you can set that up somewhere else. Like you could set it up in a data center somewhere like Amazon web services or, um, you know, Google cloud or, or wherever. And so you can be guaranteed that because you set it up, um, you know what's happening to those logs and you know where it's coming out. Um, the problem is that you're, you're basically renting someone else's computer. Mm. 
So if if you're doing illegal stuff, uh, you know, Amazon Web Services would no doubt um, comply with a warrant because mm. that's what warrants are for. That's yeah. right. Um, <laughs> and and that 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 would give law enforcement like enough access to to um, undo whatever the value of that open source VPN is. Um, so it's it's that kind of solution makes sense for people who are extremely paranoid but not doing anything badly illegal. Mm. <laughs> mm. And the, yeah, I think that's all I have to say on mm. that. Yep. Um, so another place where it makes sense is if you're traveling, you could set up your home computer to host that server. Right. Um, I, I basically trust my ISP. Yeah. Yep. Partly because I don't have a choice. And partly because <laughs> I've never, um, in Australia at least, they don't don't do some of the bad things that other ISPs overseas have done. Right. Um, so you could set up a home server, and when you're travelling, always connect via your your home computer network. Mm. Which you know maybe some people would like that idea as well. Mm. Mm. In case we've got international listeners, what kind of things and what kind of countries are ISPs getting up to that would make you want to? Uh, the one I hear most of is in the US, where they will um, replace ads. So they'll take out ads from the you know wherever you're browsing and replace it with ads for whatever they've sold. Right. Um, so that's feels kind of privacy invading. Yeah, it does. And especially for the Americans, they would be all up against that because I mean, privacy is their number one thing. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think, um, that feels privacy invading and it probably is. Um, I don't know that it doesn't go on in other countries as well. It's just Mm. that I think there's a particular dynamic where the U S is a big market. There's lots of people who care about those issues. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that ISPs do other things as well at times. Yeah. It can feel, it can feel a little overwhelming. Like, like listening to all of the places and all of the people who could potentially, and you know, it comes back to, are you doing the right thing on the internet? Is what your, are your comms valuable? Would someone be after them? It feels like the attacks are coming from all over the place. Like, you know, the people who you think you should be your friends, the ISPs, the guys who are hooking you up to the internet in the first place, maybe even, you know, infringing on privacy. Can, can you make us feel a little bit better or is that actually how it is out in the wide world of the internet? <laughs> I mean, I think that's actually how it is. Mm, yeah. um, and it's, it's not even as if VPNs are necessarily a solution. So yeah. uh, some VPNs, package up the data of, and it's usually the free ones, package up the data of the their customers mm. and on-sell it, and that's how they make money. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, so there's ages ago that was happening with um, a company that was running a VPN mm. and it mm. was using the data of its customers as kind of market research to know mm. what to try and sell. Okay. Um, that's, so so I, that's, I guess it's important then to know who the watchdogs are. And so you go, okay, I want to get a VPN. Who are the people who are keeping the VPN providers accountable and who do they say I should trust? Is, is there an entity that exists like that? I guess, I guess there has to be in each country. Uh, not really. So for me, if I ever think about, or when I think about a VPN, I really 
uh, struggle to find a good resource. So the, the last one I used was Wirecutter, which is a New York Times site that does a lot of comparison, and they're pretty transparent about how they decided. Okay. Uh, and you can see if you read through their page on VPNs, they've really done a huge amount of work to try and figure out what the right answer is. Mm. Um, and to me, unless you're extremely paranoid, it's just way more work than any individual will do. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm pretty paranoid and I don't do that work. I just yeah. read the wire cutter. And <laughs> so there's a few other sites like that. Um, and if, if you're starting to be paranoid enough that you're uh, spending that much time on it, like doing all that work, you're probably better off just rolling your own and accepting the risk of the data center owner. That's rolling your own, I mean, using an open source VPN yeah. to, to accepting the risk of a data center provider because you're controlling as much as you can. Yeah, mm. yeah. I've kind of got a picture forming in my head here that I think that I think might help. I think I want to check it conceptually though. The internet, you know, there's there's all sorts of things that could harm you and VPN's one of those tools that you could that you could use to potentially help with that. Uh, it's not dissimilar to if you're walking through a large city. And common sense and and basic safety awareness is is what's going to stop you from perhaps getting yourself into a harmful city if you're actually walking through a city where there, you know, that there are things that could happen to you if you were unwise, if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, if you were doing things that you know you should perhaps not be doing. Is that is that a helpful kind of conceptual way to use the internet? Is I'm here, there's potentially things that harm me, but if I use some common sense, if I use these sites that I know encrypt things well, that are reputable, um, and I know I'm doing things that I am here to do that I shouldn't not be doing, um, is, that, is that kind of a helpful picture? Do you think? I think, uh, yeah, yeah. It seems fair enough to me, right? So yeah. there's things you can do on the internet that are just dumb. Yeah. Yep. Don't yep. do them. Yeah. Um, there's things you can do that are pretty sensible. Do those. Do those. <laughs> um, uh, and um, so, so I mean, particularly important, it's not really about passwords, but choosing good passwords is actually yep. important. So I just use a password manager and that way mm. I don't have to think about it and I can get complex passwords that are different for every site. Mm. Um, like that's, that's pretty sensible. Um, you know, I, I use, I do use a VPN when I travel, but at the same time, um, you know, occasionally you'll end up at a place where the VPN just doesn't work. Um, so possibly the hotel or the airport's blocking it or whatever. And at that point I go, okay, this is bad. Uh, I'll just switch off the VPN. It's not like um, most people, I think, will just go, okay, I'll, I'll run with that risk because I need to talk to whoever mm. or I need to get my email or I need to send mm. something or I need to find my itinerary or whatever. Yeah. Um, so um, it's it's just trying to reduce your risk as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of those things you can do. There you go. I'm, I'm feeling fairly clear on this. There's some good tips there as well. Password manager is very helpful. I use LastPass. What, what, which one do you use, Tom? Is there a password manager that you prefer? Uh, what do I use? Yeah, I use LastPass too. There you wow. go. Oh, that makes me feel really good. Okay, so good <laughs> passwords. Obviously, protecting your local machine with kind of, you know, virus software. That's another one that comes to mind. Um, and then obviously VPNs, if, if that's something that you think you need for what you're doing or where you are. Um, and obviously, we've unpacked 
a lot more about how VPNs work throughout the whole of today. Uh, I think I'm pretty much there, Cam, as far as the questions I have for Tom. Yeah, is there anything yeah. else you'd like to know? Well, I, I guess, uh, I guess, like, is there anything that we've missed in this whole conversation of VPNs that maybe you could shed the light on, or is is this given a good light, kind of, of the whole area of VPNs and I guess why they're good and why they're evil? Uh, one really common use is in corporates. Hmm. So corporates will use their own VPNs, and that's a way of allowing their workers access to their internal corporate network. Mm-hmm. So it's really about extending um, their internal network to an individual's computer. And so they like to have uh, a, a, a protected tunnel around whatever their data is. Mm. So that seems to me like a totally sensible use of a VPN. Um, and, uh, you know, the architecture around that seems to be migrating to a a different model, Mm. which is that you don't worry about a VPN, but you make sure that what you're sending out is truly protected and making sure that you're talking to the right person. Mm. Um, But that's the other use of VPNs that we didn't really talk about. Yeah. Well, I guess that's a a good thing. And I guess that's a little bit what what you're saying there is a bit of where the future is going, you know, just um, with, you know, corporate things making sure that their data is more safe by making sure they're sending it to the right people and I guess that's a, a thing for us all to be aware of and VPNs can't save us from sending an email to the wrong person that's uh, VPNs can't do that that's right <laughs> well yeah, uh, thanks so good. much Tom uh, we really appreciate your time and I'm sure all the listeners now have a like much deeper understanding of VPNs and why they're good and you know and they've now know as well to maybe just stick away from doing the bad things on the internet VPNs ain't going to save you from that so we definitely <laughs> (laughs) appreciate your time Tom and uh, I know all the listeners will as well well there you go thanks Tom for jumping on and helping us understand that a bit more Caleb I feel like well yeah I made a good choice in buying a VPN Uh, are you going to go out and get one okay good good we uh well I don't know see you know, most of my comms probably aren't that interesting to Russian hackers. <laughs> However, if I was traveling overseas and I wanted to use certain, you know, valuable information or I needed to communicate about important things and I felt like I wasn't secured enough, then I definitely would. I really I like how you said me. valuable information, important things. It made it sound like really like big, but it's like, ah, uh, really, yeah. I'm just thinking about my emails and my bank account. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And and it was comforting to know that my bank account is likely encrypted anyway. Yeah. Thank you to my bank app developer for taking care of that for me. Thank you, Banks. Uh, I went through a whole wave of emotion there as I probably expressed on the interview of like, oh my gosh, I'm scared of the internet to like, oh no, wait, I know how to do this because I don't know if that picture (laughs) helped you, but you know, you're walking through, let's take New York City, for example, beautiful place. It can be wonderful. But if you do certain things at certain times a day in certain places, you can get yourself into trouble. And in a lot of ways, it feels like the internet can be like that as well. Yeah, if you kick Uh, in a window at any time of the day, uh, you will get (laughs) trouble for that so don't do that (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly and and now i have a clearer picture about how vpns can help me stay safe as well so thank you tom and some how are those stories that we got about some of some of the hacks that have happened around the world i was i was excited to know what he was going to say because i was like ah i don't really know much about like the hacker sphere or whatever like whatever is going to (laughs) happen yeah uh, I feel like I got that off a TV show um, when I was younger. I, Claim for it. some reason went down Claim a, it, man. <laughs> I went down a rabbit warren and watched some like kid TV show called Cyber Chase. 
uh, the other day. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but I watched it when I was young. So anyways, uh, that's a total conversation for another time off the podcast. But I really liked how he kind of gave some he, he gave some stories that were quite mind-blowing. I just did not mm. know about Russia attacking the Ukraine in that way. And then, mm. um, yeah, the, the one, what was it? The one hard drive that was left was in Nigeria. Was that it? Yeah, yeah. They had to. They, they there was visa issues. They had to physically go and get a hard drive and get it to London. It's Crazy. unbelievable Crazy. stories. Unbelievable stories there. But hey, uh, send us in. What were some of the highlight moments from that interview? Maybe you've still got some questions. Pass them on. We could pass them on to Tom and maybe get those answered. But uh, that's Fact Check Friday complete that's for another it. week here at the Hour of Power podcast. Cam, we'll be back next week we with will. a new topic. Yeah, we will be back next week. And in the meantime, feel free to leave a review on our iTunes. Feel free to subscribe or follow us on any of our social media platforms and let us know what you want to know more about and we may look into it in a future week. But for now, from Cam and Caleb, thank you very much for listening to the Hour of Power podcast.